0: hi bill this is tracy from pop horror um just calling to talk about this last story that you read uh which was creepily relevant to the times we're in right now um it's so hard to tell a person's emotions or feelings or reactions when they're behind a mask even though their eyes are uncovered it's still hard to tell gothic goodnight is one of my absolute favorite podcasts now Um, I love getting put to sleep by the sound of Bill Overs Jr.'s voice reading dark bedtime stories, and you are just amazing bringing this to all of your listeners. I, too, walk around with a hood over my face in that kind of fashion, you know, obscuring my eyes, and I agree definitely that a veil like that shows people the darkness within themselves and people aren't always comfortable with that. I just want to let you know that I enjoyed the story of the veil. I can identify with that. I feel that when you wear a veil, you may feel ashamed, but in the, in the end, sometimes that veil will be lifted. to Show the true meaning of yourself. Good evening, Bill. Morris here. Love the Vale story. Reminds me of my series on television. Keep up the good work. This is just what I need to hear while working on, er things in the laboratory. Bill, I love you to death. Keep those stories coming. Have a good night, Bill. Dragon Slayer Audio. Good evening. This is Bill Oberst, Jr. Welcome to the Moonlit Library. Night is a mirror. Night takes what we give her and reflects it back upon us in redoubled spades in redoubled shades. Give the night your doubt, and she will return to you fear. Give the night resentment, and she will return to you anger. Or perhaps in storm clouds, she'll deliver rage. Give the night acceptance and she will grant you peace. This tiny papyrus fragment of understanding took your old library keeper many decades to acquire. How slowly reflections come back to us, and yet how good it is to reflect. It's quiet tonight, No wind. I think I see you. As I stand before this massive window on the edge of this library, on the edge of a precipice, on the edge of the world, I think I see you. Isn't that your light shining down there in the darkness? I hope so. It's rather Disney-esque, but comforting to think that we're all looking at the same lights in the sky tonight. How terrible the thought of never seeing the stars, which is the subject of tonight's tale. But first, I thank you. Thank you for your voice messages and your reviews this week. You heard voicemails from Rhiannon and Tracy and Ingrid and Scott and Boris at the top of the show tonight. Thank you for those. Thank you, Darth, for leaving a show review on Apple Podcast. And thank you, Daniel, for a thorough review of the show on the United Kingdom site, therottingzombie.co.uk. I appreciate that. Your voice messages are most welcome in this old library. Leave one for free at speakpipe.com slash Bill Oberst, Jr. You can leave a free voice message from anywhere in the world, including Rhode Island, where the author of tonight's tale was born and died after a relatively short life howard was 31 when he wrote this howard phillips lovecraft from the april 1926 issue of weird tales magazine this is hp lovecraft's the outsider unhappy is he to whom the memories of childhood bring only fear and sadness and wretched is he who looks back upon lone hours in vast and dismal chambers with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books or twilight groves of grotesque gigantic and vine encumbered trees that silently wave twisted branches far aloft such a lot the gods gave to me, to me, the dazed, the disappointed, the barren, the broken. And yet, I cling desperately to those memories when my mind momentarily threatens to reach beyond to to the other. I know not where I was born, save that the castle was infinitely old and infinitely horrible, full of dark passages and high ceilings where the eye could find only cobwebs and shadows. The stones in the crumbling corridors seemed always hideously damp, and there was an accursed smell everywhere, as of the piled-up corpses of dead generations. It was never light so that I used sometimes to light candles and gaze steadily at them for relief. Nor was there any sun outdoors. Since the terrible trees grew high above the topmost accessible tower, there was one black tower which reached above the trees, far up into the unknown outer sky. But that tower was partly ruined and could not be ascended save by a well near impossible climb up the sheer wall stone by stone i must have lived years in this place but i cannot measure the time beings must have cared for my needs yet i cannot recall any person except myself or anything alive but the noiseless rats and bats and spiders I think that whoever nursed me must have been shockingly aged, since my first conception of a living person was that of somebody mockingly like myself, yet distorted, shriveled, and decaying like this castle. To me, there was nothing grotesque in the bones and skeletons strewed among some of the stone crypts down among the foundations. I associated these things with everyday events, and thought them more natural than the colored pictures of living beings which I found in many of the moldy books. From such books I learned all that I know. No teacher urged or guided me. I do not recall hearing any human voice in all those years, not even my own, for although I had read of speech, I had never thought to try to speak aloud. My appearance was a matter equally unthought of, for there were no mirrors in the castle, and I merely regarded myself by instinct as akin to the youthful figures I saw drawn and painted in the old books. Outside, across the putrid moat and under the dark, mute trees, I would often lie and dream for hours about what I read in those books, and would longingly picture myself amidst crowds in the sunny world beyond the endless forest. Once, I tried to escape from the forest, but as I went further from the castle the shade grew denser and the air more filled with brooding fear, so I ran frantically back, lest I lose my way in a labyrinth of silence. So through endless twilights I dreamed and waited, though I knew not what I waited for and in the shadowy solitude my longing for light grew so frantic that I could rest no more. And I looked up. I looked up to the single black ruined tower that reached above the forest into the unknown outer sky, and at last I resolved to scale that tower. Fail though I might, since it were better to glimpse the sky and perish, and to live without ever beholding day in the dank twilight i climbed the worn and aged stone stairs till i reached the level where they ceased and then i clung perilously to small footholds leading upward ghastly and terrible was that dead stairless cylinder of rock dark ruined and deserted and sinister with startled bats whose wings made no noise but more ghastly and terrible still was the slowness of my progress. For a climb as I might, the darkness overhead grew no thinner, and a new chill as of haunted mould assailed me. I shivered as I wondered why I did not reach the light, and I would have looked down had I dared. I fancied that night had come suddenly upon me and vainly groped with one free hand to feel for a window that I might peer out and above to try to judge the height I had attained. All at once, after an infinity of awesome sightless crawling up that concave and desperate precipice, I felt my hand touch a solid thing, a trap door on the floor of some observation chamber above me. I crawled through carefully. I tried to prevent the heavy slab from falling back into place, but failed. As I lay exhausted on the stone floor, I heard the eerie echoes of the trapdoor falling. I hoped, when it was necessary, that I could pry it up again. Believing I was now at a great height far above the accursed branches of the woods, I dragged myself up from the floor and fumbled about for windows that I might look for the first time upon the sky and the moon and the stars of which I had read. But on every hand I was disappointed. All I found were vast shelves of marble bearing odious oblong boxes of disturbing size. More and more I reflected and wondered what secrets might abide in this high apartment so many eons cut off from the castle below. Then, unexpectedly, my hands came upon a doorway, where hung a portal of stone, rough with strange chiseling. Trying it, I found it locked, but with a supreme burst of strength I overcame all obstacles and dragged it open inward. As I did so, there came to me the purest, ecstasy I have ever known, for shining tranquilly through an ornate grating of iron, was the radiant full moon, which I had never before seen, save in my dreams, and in vague visions I dared not call memories. Fancying now that I had attained the very pinnacle of the castle, I commenced to rush up the few steps beyond the door, but the sudden veiling of the moon by a cloud caused me to stumble, and I felt my way more slowly in the dark. It was still very dark when I reached the grating, which I tried carefully and found unlocked, but which I did not open for fear of falling from the amazing height to which I had climbed. Then the moon came out, Oh, most demonical of all shocks is the shock of the abysmally unexpected and the grotesquely unbelievable. Nothing I had before undergone could compare in terror with what I now saw. With the bizarre marvels that sight implied, the sight itself was as simple as it was stupefying, for it was merely this. Instead of a dizzying prospect of treetops seen from a lofty eminence, there stretched around me, on the level, through the grating, nothing less than the solid ground. It gleamed spectrally in the moonlight. Half unconscious, I opened the grating and staggered out upon the white gravel path that stretched away in two directions, My mind, stunned and chaotic as it was, still held the frantic craving for light, and not even the fantastic wonder which had happened could stay my course. I neither knew nor cared whether my experience was insanity, dreaming, or magic, but was determined to gaze upon brilliance at any cost. I knew not who I was, or what I was, or what my surroundings might be, but I passed under the arch. "'and wandered through the open country. "'Sometimes I followed the visible road, "'sometimes leaving it to tread across meadows "'where only occasional ruins bespoke the ancient presence "'of a forgotten road. "'Once I swam across a swift river "'where crumbling mossy masonry told of a bridge long vanished. "'Over two hours must have passed "'before I reached what seemed to be my goal.' a venerable castle i saw that the moat had been filled in and some of the existing towers demolished and new wings added but what i observed with most delight were the open windows gorgeously ablaze with light and sending forth sound of revelry advancing to one of these windows i looked in And saw an oddly dressed company indeed they were making merry and speaking brightly to one another i had never heard human speech before and i could guess only vaguely what was said some of the faces seemed to hold expressions that brought up incredibly remote recollections and others were utterly alien to me i stepped through the low window into the brilliantly lighted room "'stepping, as I did so, from my single bright moment of hope "'to my blackest convulsion of despair and realization. "'Scarcely had I crossed the sill "'when there descended upon the whole company "'a sudden and unheralded fear, "'a fear of hideous intensity, "'a fear which distorted every face "'and evoked the most horrible screams "'from nearly every throat.' Flight was universal, and in the clamor and panic several fell in a swoon and were dragged away by their madly fleeing companions. Many covered their eyes with their hands and plunged blindly and awkwardly in their race to escape, overturning furniture and stumbling against walls before they managed to reach one of the many doors. The cries were shocking, and as I stood in the brilliant apartment, alone and dazed, listening to their vanishing echoes. I trembled at the thought of what might be lurking near me, unseen. At a casual inspection the room seemed deserted, but when I moved toward one of the alcoves I thought I detected a presence there, a hint of motion beyond the golden-arched doorway leading to another and somewhat similar room, As I approached the arch, I began to perceive the presence more clearly, and then, with the first and last sound I ever uttered, I beheld in full frightful vividness the inconceivable, indescribable, and unmentionable monstrosity which had, by its simple appearance, changed a merry company to a herd of delirious fugitives. I cannot even hint at what it was like, for it was a compound of all that is unclean, uncanny, unwelcome, abnormal, and detestable. It was the ghoulish shade of decay, antiquity, and dissolution, the the putrid spectre of dripping, unwholesome revelation, the awful bearing. Of that which the merciful earth should always hide. God knows it was not of this world, or no longer of this world, yet to my horror I saw in its eaten away and bone revealing outlines a leering, abhorrent travesty on the human shape, and in its moldy, disintegrating apparel an unspeakable quality that chilled me even more. I tried to raise my hand to shut out the sight, yet so stunned were my nerves that my arm could not fully obey my will. The attempt, however, was enough to disturb my balance so that I had to stagger forward several times to avoid falling. As I did so, I became suddenly and agonizingly aware of the nearness of the garyon thing whose hideous breathing I half fancied I could hear. Nearly mad, I found myself yet able to throw out a hand to ward off the fetid aberration, which pressed so close when in one cataclysmic second of cosmic nightmarishness and hellish accident my fingers touched the rotting outstretched paw of the monster beneath the golden arch. I did not shriek but all of the fiendish ghouls that ride the night wind shrieked for me, as in that same second there crashed upon my mind a single fleeting avalanche of soul-annihilating memory. I knew in that second all that had been. I remembered beyond the frightful castle and the trees and recognized the altered edifice in which I now stood I recognized, most terrible of all, the unholy abomination that stood leering before me as I withdrew my sullied fingers from its own. But in the cosmos there is balm as well as bitterness. And in the supreme horror of that second I forgot what had horrified me and the burst of black memory vanished in a chaos of echoing images. When I returned to the churchyard place of marble and went down the steps, I found the trap door immovable. Now I ride with the mocking and friendly ghouls upon the night wind and play by day amidst the catacombs of nephrin call. Now, I know that light is not for me, save that of the moon. Now, I know always that I am an outsider, a stranger in this century, and a stranger among those who are still men. This I have known ever since I stretched out my fingers to the abomination within that great gilded frame, stretched out my fingers and touched the cold and unyielding surface of polished glass. My goodness. Night is a mirror reflecting back upon us that which we give it, but in shaded form. Maybe there's a reason people used to cover their mirrors after a family member died. Maybe there's a reason looking into mirrors in low light is bound to reveal monsters. Macklin Stanley wrote a beautiful article about those mirror monsters in psychology today. You should look it up. You should leave me a voice message about your night and about tonight's show. You should do all of these things tomorrow. Tomorrow tomorrow. For now, the books are all back on the shelves and your eyelids are heavy. You're safe there in your place of rest. The mirrors are covered except for those in your dreams. There's only one light left burning tonight. A single candle flickering here in the library. As I stand at this great window looking down upon the sleeping world, I'll hold that candle up. You can blow it out. You can blow it out with your last waking breath. Then I'll leave you Ready? One, two, three. Whew. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. Sleep well. And remember, it's always midnight somewhere and in someone's soul. Good night.